Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watch Podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show for the weekend of March 6th through March 8th, 2020. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. So there's been a bit of news this week that shook up the box office world, uh, most, mostly that the Bond movie, No Time to Die, that was originally released in April, moved to November for later this year. There's a lot of speculating and theory crafting about how this will going to impact impact other films and whether other movies are going to delay until later this year in the wake of the coronavirus. However, I already talked about all that over Twitter um, BO, at B.O. Watts Podcast, if you're not following me already. Uh, so you can see my thoughts there. Um, so in the if more movies delay and move, I'll probably do an episode you know, about that. But for now, um, this week's episode in honor of uh, Pixar's new film Onward, uh, I'm going to talk about animation movies and the box and and the way that they live in the box office uh, for this week's box office concepts. Uh, and obviously, last week I talked about anime films and how those live in Japan and their relation to TV shows and how those do over here in the states. Um, but you know, obviously there are other companies producing movies here in the states with more focus of uh, on on younger audiences, i.e. children. So I'm going to focus on those films for this, um, you know. Uh, so, I mean, in any case, you know, every, everyone knows that the market for theatrical release animated films really was monopolized probably up, 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 up until about 2000 or so. Before 2000, there were really only a handful of films that were not by Disney or Pixar or from Japan, shout out to Pokemon, um, that grossed over $50 million. Obviously, $50 million in 2000 is very different than $50 million today. Um, so keep that in mind. But that's a nice benchmark to, to go off for, you know, big mainstream animated films. Um, those films, you know, they were DreamWorks films, Prince of Egypt, Ants, some Nickelodeon films, Rugrats. Um, you know, there was uh, Dom Bluth films, Anastasia, Land Before Time, American Tale, um, and Night Before, Nightmare Before Christmas, which is really a Disney production if you, if you really think about it. Um, also Space Jam, which, you know, Warner Brothers, though that was half live action, half uh, cartoon, you can't really discount the star power of Michael Jordan at the time. Um, also of note are the adult animated films South Park and Leaves and Budhead, and I think Team America uh, came out uh, before 2000. I'm not 100% sure on that, um, but in any case, you know they are hitting the same target demographically, so not relevant to this conversation. Um, so really, theatrical animation prior to 2000 was synonymous with the Walt Disney Company. They've been doing it since 1937 with the release of Snow White. Um, Pfizer Studios, you know, the, the studio, a animation studio behind Betty Boop and Popeye, attempted two feature animation films in the late 30s, early 40s, but those were commercial failures, and even Disney had some commercial failures around this time. Um, so that led to most other studios staying out of the uh, theatrical uh, release space for animated films, um, either seeing the live action films or if they had animation departments focusing on the television market. Um, you know, it wasn't until um, the late 70s that they, they, people tried again. Uh, Ralph Boxy notably had some adult targeted animation films, most notably 1978's Lord of the Rings. And former Disney animator Don Bluth um, left to start Bluth Productions, which we talked about. Um, in the 80s, they made Secret of Nim, American Tale, All Dogs Go to Heaven, and Land Before Time, as well as Anastasia for Fox Animation Studios. 
um, you know, like I said, um, animators would focus on television films. Warner Brothers focused on Looney Tunes. MGM had Tom and Jerry. And, of course, the whole suite of Hanna-Barbera um, cartoons, uh, the Flintstones, Yogi Bear, Jetson, Scooby-Doo, the Smurfs. Um, these were eventually acquired by Warner Brothers in the 90s uh, and morphed into Cartoon Network Studios that also produced Powerpuff Girls, Texas Laboratory, Johnny Bravo, a bunch of other classic shows like that. So... Um, you know, it's probably easiest for the sake of this discussion to frame this discussion around uh, animation by studio. So in Hollywood, you know, there's only the, the five big studios, uh, the big five uh, media conglomerates, you know, with various subsidiaries in both animation, but also live action and television and so on, um, that they collectively have 75% of total U.S. market share. Um, in order of descending market share, it's Walt Disney Studios, who owns 20th Studios, 20th Century Studios, a.k.a. Fox, Warner Media slash AT&T, uh, Sony Pictures, uh, NBC Universal, and AKA, aka Comcast, and Viacom CBS, aka Paramount. Um, so going in order, uh, so Disney obviously owns you know the classic Walt Disney Animation Studios, um, responsible for the classic Disney films we all know and love. Um, there are other units such as Disney Toon Studios that makes direct-to-video sequels to their theatrical releases. Um, think. Um, Think uh, Goofy Movie, think, you know, Aladdin 2, you know, the sequels to the other, to, to Snow White sequel to Little Mermaid and so on. Um, if you haven't heard of those, then I wouldn't blame you. Um, and also Disney television animation that makes their TV shows and the associated movies for those. Um, they also acquired Pixar in 2006, um, which they had worked with Pixar more or less exclusively uh, since the beginning of the 90s. Um, and, you know, as of last year, Disney now runs Blue Sky Studios, the computer animation group under Fox Animation. Um, for all intents and purposes, that's the only animation unit that was under Fox Animation, um, you know, since 2000. Before, they haven't put... Uh, traditional hand-drawn hasn't been done since 2000. Um, Blue Sky Studios is responsible for Ice Age, Rio, and the recent films uh, Ferdinand and Spies in Disguise. Uh, Warner Media uh, has always had a long history of animation going back to Looney Tune properties as well as Hanna-Barbera, which they acquired. Um, they also, uh, being Warner Brothers, uh, own the DC Universe, um, and so as a result have a very robust directed video DC animated movie and television show universe. Um, Young Justice, um, you know the the kill the Batman the Killing Joke, which came out I think last year a couple of years ago. Um, after the success of The Lion King in the nineties, um, you know Warner moved into the feature space with a unit called Warner Feature Animation. So this is where Space Jam came out of. Uh, Iron Giant and Osmosis Jones were probably the most notable films, um, and they unfortunately, aside from Space Jam, before underperformed financially. So it put them off from doing theatrical releases until 2014, where they reformed as the Warner Animation Group. Uh, this time, they focused on computer animation, and they're responsible for all the Lego movies as well as recent films Smallfoot and the upcoming movie later this year, Scoob, uh, using the Hanna-Barbera Scooby-Doo property. Um, Third, we have Sony. Uh, they operate Sony Picture Animation, um, you know, which came about pretty interestingly. They originally were trying to sell off the visual effects unit, Sony Picture Image Works (SPI), but failed to find find the buyer. Um, I believe after the they were 
some people were impressed by the effects works of Stuart Little, and they decided to focus on you know computer animation. So in 2006, they released the show, the movie Open Season, which I honestly don't remember. Um, but since then, they've worked you know on films like uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, The Smurfs, and Hotel Transylvania. Um, and recently, you know, probably most notably, they ha- got the Academy Award-winning uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse uh, film. Um, obviously using their uh, fights to the Spider-Man character. Um, fourth, we have NBC Universal, uh, which has been in the feature animation game the most consistently and the longest of the non-Disney studios. Um, so they operate DreamWorks Animation, which is a spiritual successor of Steven Spielberg's animation company, Amblination. Um, the first work as uh, DreamWorks Animation was the CGI bug movie Ants, which actually came out one month before Pixar's The Bug's Life in 1998. Um, and they also had the hand-run film Prince of Egypt and Road to El Dorado. Um, they followed up with mostly uh, CG films. Uh, so Shrek, Madagascar, B-Movie, Kung Fu Panda, and How to Train Your Dragon series. Um, to date, uh, since 1998, they've had 37 total releases. Um, so pretty pretty robust lineup. Um, you know, the other important thing that NBC Universal has is that they also own Illumination. Uh, and Illumination uh, is the studio that makes the Minions. Uh, we'll get to more of them in a little bit. Um, those have been operating since, I believe, 2010. Um, all right. And then finally, we have Viacom CBS, who operates Paramount Animation, which has a somewhat unclear relationship with Nickelodeon movies. Um, so obviously Nickelodeon is the rival to Warner slash Turner's Cartoon Networks and has done animation for a long while, mostly for their animated, uh, for the TV shows, most notably uh, Avatar The Last Airbender. Um, but they didn't really have a movie business until the late 90s. Um, and they've split focus between, you know, n- traditional hand-drawn and uh oh sorry between live action and animated films mostly of the television properties um paramount animation specifically came out after paramount you know the larger studio worked with industrial light and magic on the 2011 film rango featuring johnny depp um you know they've really you know and they've made a bunch of films since then but they're really only finding their feet as they've only really had one success since rango um the 2015 spongebob movie um with a sequel due later this year uh wonder trucks and 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 wonder sorry wonder park and monster trucks in the past few years have been pretty disastrous box office wise um and sherlock gnomes gnomes has really been only meh uh in terms of performance um Okay, so you have those five studios. So, you know, what can we expect from an animated film? So I actually went ahead and compiled a list of all the films from these studios. Um, for Disney, obviously, you know, they've, they've had their various ages of Disney films. Um, for them, I chose to only use films from 2005 onward. Um, this is the mark when, this is specifically because their first fully CG film, Chicken Little, came out this time. Um, this was kind of known as dark period in Disney's, uh, you know, when, when, uh, um, you know, traditional hand-drawn animation after the Disney Renaissance was kind of starting to go away. With the, the only real notice, notable one was uh, Lilo and Stitch, but prior to 2005, after the Disney Renaissance. Um, 
So kind of CG was the turn for that. Um, the only hand-drawn film since then was Princess and the Frog, um, which went really well, um, but we'll get to that. Um, for Warner Animation, I limited it to anything from the Lego movie onward, um, so 2014 onwards. Um, and in total, you know, this gives us about 115 films between 1995 and 2019. Um, so, you know, one of the most important things to note, I guess, about animation films in the States is that, you know, obviously they're targeted more toward kids and, you know, more broadly families, right? Families bringing their kids to the movies. Um, but you can't, you, unlike adult, like, obviously there are high and low points in the box office calendar for pretty much everyone, but especially for kids, you know, because there's, uh, you know, families will have limited budget on being able to go to the movies. Um, you really have to target when the kids and the families will be available to see them. Um, so if you look at the distribution of animated films, of, of these 115 films I looked at, um, you know, animated films, uh, it, it really varies by month. Months like January or August have really only had one or two films in the last two decades. Um, March, uh, which is usually the spring break for a lot of kids, has had 15 films. Um, May through July, you know, this is the peak summer break period, has between 12 to 18, uh, depending on the month. And then December, or sorry, November, which is Thanksgiving break, has had a whopping 26 films. Um, so if you dig into the deeper, you know, you see that a given month can really support one, maybe two movies at a time. Um, there's never been really, you know, for example, March, that spring break period, there's never really been more than one animated film released in March. Um, these are mostly dream. I'll get into like which studio, which studio seems to have a claim on which month. Um, but yeah, March hasn't had any overlaps. Um, you know, May hasn't had any overlaps, um, uh, you know, and then June has had a couple of conflicts, 2008, 2012, 2017, and 2019, um, you know, as more studios start entering the space, start competing. Um, let's see, July has had conflicts in 2013, um, 2016, uh, that's pretty much it. 2013 had like a uh, three-way, um, you know, between Turbo, Despicable Me, and This Mars 2. Um, generally, when you look at these, there'll usually be at least one clear winner, um, you know, to the detriment of the other. Um, you know, November, you know, um, generally is a Disney slot. Um, uh, and, you know, in recent years, um, 2008, 2010, 2012, 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18. So definitely 2014 onwards, you can start seeing DreamWorks really trying to get into Disney space here and starting to compete for that, um, for the animated space. Um, so we look, you know, so you can kind of get a sense that certain uh, studios have staked out specific months as theirs to release films right and part of this is you know disney kind of has the first mover advantage since they've been doing it for the longest that they've kind of claimed certain months as their release period um going through the calendar in order so generally january through march is usually paramount again which is cbs slash nickelodeon films um these are kind of the dregs there's not really anyone else trying to claim this spot um, February, you know, there'll usually be something for Warner from Warner Animation. Think um, Lego Movie. Um, DreamWorks will sometimes have a March release, but usually they'll actually pretty consistently stick to having a May release. Um, so kind of, you know, the first animated film before the the the, the rest of uh, summer comes out. Um, June has pretty much been solidly Pixar. Um, you know, Disney doesn't even, you know, Walt Disney Animation Studios doesn't really release anything in uh, June. They let Pixar have that spot. 
Um, Illumination pretty much owns July. Um, and then, you know, Sony for a while used to have September releases, though in recent in recent years, Warner Studios has kind of been moving in on that space. Um, though I believe this year there's a there's an animated film coming out from Sony that's coming out in September. Um, you know, October, um, you know, we've skipped August and October because those are pretty dead months. Um, November is really going to be a Walt Disney animated feature unless they just don't have anything that year, in which case they'll usually let Pixar um, have that slot. Um, and again, in recent years, DreamWorks has started slipping into there. Um, and in December, you know, you, we've also started to see, you know, Blue Sky Studios, for example, throwing in a... You know, a release. You know, um, I think uh, um, Illuminations doing something. Uh, I think um, the Sing movie. Um, so holiday. Um, you know, kind of counter programming maybe to against Star Wars or some other film. Um, you know, given the holiday breaks um, for Christmas, maybe some studios are starting to try to strategically schedule a um, a film there that hopefully have long legs. Um, if it's not too crowded with other stuff going on there. Um, so yeah, so that's basically the, um, the calendar release schedule for films, but, you know, you you can also take a look at how different studios, um, you know, kind of perform, uh, on average, right? So I also, you know, kind of took the average of all of these films. Um, so on average, the budget for an animation film is about $116, oh, sorry, sorry, $116 million. Um, and on average, the opening weekend is $50 million. Legs, which we talked about, you know, in the first episode of this podcast, about three point seven. So that's actually fairly high, actually, for a film. Um, this kind of makes sense. If you're only releasing one animated film a month, um, generally, that's the only animated film in in town so if someone happens to go to the movie they want babysitter wants to take the kids or grandma's in town or whatever um just randomly visiting and you want to go see a movie with them um and you want something family friendly this is really the only option you have so um obviously there will be live action family films but animated wise you know this is a pretty safe bet so they can have a higher than average um leg multiplier um on average films take about a 40 percent um share of the revenue from uh domestic so it means 60 percent international um and so on average you can expect an average animated film to have 500 million dollars total take home now that varies by studio fairly significantly actually um so you know i would kind of put if that's the average i would put um pixar and disney and illumination um again that's the sister studio of dreamworks under um nbc so uh disney pixar and illumination kind of are the top tier of studios dreamworks i would say is kind of the second tier just below them um and then below that you have blue sky um, which is fox owned by disney sony warner and paramount um so kind of going from the bottom up so paramount films in general have a budget of about 90 million dollars um unfortunately unless you're a spongebob film the opening weekend has been pretty much like 10 million dollars or so you've only had legs of about 3x multiplier and you know half of your stuff comes from domestic so you know that comes out to about a 50 million dollar worldwide or sorry 100 million dollars um worldwide take home which giving advertising costs is not going to make up your budget um you can kind of see that, I guess, why they're hopefully banking on the SpongeBob movie coming around. Um, again, this is a very fairly small sample size for them. Um, next up, you have uh, Warner. Um, so the, again, the people who make 
the Lego movie. Um, so in general, they have about a $75 million budget. Um, opening weekend is about $30 million or so. Um, legs are a bit better, $3.35. Um, domestic, you know, about 50% split. So about a $200 worldwide, a little, you know, somewhere around profitable. Um, that, that kind of really, really varies, right? So looking at their historical films uh, that they've had so far, um, you know, the most successful was obviously the Lego movie, um, and then Lego Batman movie was also pretty successful, but Lego Ninjago movie and Lego Movie 2 weren't super successful, um, just because of, um, I, I'm guessing probably the oversaturation of the Lego movies at that point. So, you know, uh, that's kind of where Warner Animation is there, so they're they're hoping to bank on nostalgia of Scoob um, in their upcoming film. Um, next up, uh, we have um, we have Sony. Um, so Sony, on average, has an eighty million dollar budget um, and opening weekend of about thirty million. So again, this is still below the average opening weekend. Three point six um, X legs. Um, and then uh, 37 million, 37% domestic. So compared to Paramount and Warner, which is really relies on the domestic, um, Sony actually makes a lot of their money from international uh, films. And on average, their total worldwide take home will be about three, uh, 350 million. Um, so yeah, um, I also, you know, one thing to note is that Smurfs and Angry Bird kind of skew, skew that domestic number. Um, you know, Smurf is originally a French property, and obviously Angry Birds was a worldwide phenomenon. Um, so, you know, they actually only take up 25% um, domestic. Most of theirs comes from international. Um, also to note, I think probably their most successful property um, is the Hotel Transylvania series. Um, that's made, you know, bang. And, you know, their $350 million average has a pretty wide spread. It could be anywhere as low as $200 million up to 500 million um and also one other note the multiplier of 3.6 icona does not include spider-man into the spider-verse because that was a holiday so most of these multipliers i'll exclude the, the the weird holiday multipliers um next up we have blue sky so you know of the three disney properties this is probably the least um profit this is the least total revenue so the budgets are about 100 million um, and then a $30 million opening weekend, 3.3 multiplier on legs. Um, and But the thing is, they actually probably, of all the studios, rely the least on domestic. They have a 30% domestic share, meaning 70% of the revenue comes from abroad. Um, and so because of that, even if they have relatively low domestic legs, relatively low opening weekend, they are able to make $400 million dollars you know, four hundred million dollars average as the opening weekend or total take home um, by the end. So they're able to, you know, and this is this is non-December multipliers. Um, I think their most recent films ha- did have uh, December um, December releases, so that kind of helped them out. Um, I could definitely see Disney looking at looking at the other numbers of budget that, that are coming up for Disney. This is definitely Disney's kind of budget film. Um, budgets are way lower than any of their other studios. And they expect a lower opening weekend, but they also bank more on international numbers um, as well. Um, so then we break into DreamWorks. So this is breaking out of that bottom category of animation studios. So, you know, DreamWorks DreamWorks is really a wild card, I would say. They have a huge range. So they have an average of a $130 million budget. Um, and on average, they have a $40 million opening weekend, though that can mean anything from $20 million up to $70 million. Um, their, you know, their multiplier is anywhere from a three to a five, averaging out to three point six x. Um, 
And then domestic numbers are about 35%. So, you know, just about, um, just a little bit below the, um, the, the average of 40%. Um, you know, they have a four, 450 million average total take home from worldwide. But again, that ranges anywhere from 180 million up to 750 million. Um, so you really don't know what you're getting with the DreamWorks film. So breaking into um, the top category, you have Illumination. So like I said, Illumination, they're the studio who makes the, the Minions. Um, and, you know, they are they are surprisingly uh, profitable. Well, not surprisingly, I guess, but they have $75 million as the total budget. Um, and the opening weekend is usually about $70 million or so. Um, legs are about 3.5, um, and the domestic take-home is about 43%. Um, an average worldwide is 670. Um, so you definitely a markup. However, if you split their films into their minion films versus their non-million films, minion films, and this is and the minion films includes Despicable Me, um, you know they still both have about a 75 million dollar budget, but minion films will have an opening weekend of about 82 million versus 60 million for non-minion minion films. The legs on a minion film is about 3.8 versus 3.3 for a non-minion film. And Minion Films, Minion starting to not have meaning, um, is about 34% domestic versus 48% domestic. So Minions definitely have a much stronger international appeal um, than the non-Minion films do. Um, And it's kind of nuts. Multiple of the Minion films have broken a billion dollars. So their average take-home is $928 That's the highest of any group of films here. Average non-million film makes about five hundred million, which is about average. Um, so then, breaking you know beyond Illumination, you have Pixar and Disney. Um, Pixar, you know, is two hundred million dollar budget. Um, Walt Disney Animation Studios about one hundred sixty million, um, and then Pixar will usually have about a hundred million um, opening weekend versus a sixty million opening weekend um, for uh, Walt Disney Animation Studios. However. Even though Pixar is more has a bigger budget um, and has a bigger opening weekend, the legs of a Walt Disney animated studio film are much longer. Um, four point an insane four point two five versus three point five for Pixar films, um, and Walt Disney Animation also tends to be more international, having a thirty five percent domestic take home versus Pixar's forty percent. So this leads Walt Disney Animation Studios to take eight hundred thirty million home versus. Pixar taking home seven hundred eighty-five million, both ridiculous amounts of money. But you know, the 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 typical Disney studio film tends to make more by pick than Pixar. And, and one thing to note is this does include Frozen and Frozen Frozen Two, um, which were ridiculous films and definitely um, skewed the number out, skewed the number up. Um, you know, if you exclude you know Frozen Two. Um, yeah, that, that number doesn't include Frozen 2. The opening 60 million does not include Frozen's 130 million um, number. And then, you know, one, one other thing to note is Disney is really scarily consistent with how much their budget is, both for Disney and Pixar, or Walt Disney Animation and Pixar. So, um, yeah, those are guys some benchmark numbers. If you're looking in the future at an animated film from one of these um, studios, I'll put these numbers in the show notes so you can reference them. Um uh, I did make a nice little chart on Google Google uh, Google Docs. I'm not sure how to say that quite yet. Um, before we get on to the top five, um, I want to kind of briefly touch upon, you know, stop motion animation scene. So obviously, 
you know, for a long time, animated films were done via hand-drawn animation until shifting to computer animation, mostly for cost reasons. However, there were a couple of studios that still stick to the labor-intensive work of stop-motion animation, be it through creative vision or whatnot, um, even if it tends to cost, you know, might might be more expensive in the end. The two big names, um, the first, there are two big names. The first one is Ardman Animation out of Britain. They are responsible for Wallace and Gromit, Son the Sheep, and Chicken Run. Chicken Run is the highest grossing stop motion film of all time and currently has a sequel announced. Um, they usually keep budgets just under $50 million, um, which is pretty cheap in all honesty. And while they don't have huge US numbers, um, they don't really rely on us. Um, their opening weekend in the US is about $20 million, um, but really only 20% of the revenue comes from the U.S. Most of it comes from Britain, I'd imagine. And honestly, um, I believe the most recent film didn't even have a U.S. release. It just came out on Netflix, um, which Netflix probably paid for. Um, the other big name is Laika. Um, that's led by Travis Knight, son of Nike owner Philip Knight, who um, you know who kind of bankrolls his son's uh, creative project here. In addition to doing commercial work, they do... Com- Gorgeous and critically acclaimed films like Coraline, Paranorman, and Cuba and Two Strings. Um, they have yet to really have a true box office hit. By my math, the only real profitable film was Coraline, their first film. Um, each film has made less and less, um, despite budgets either staying the same or going up for the most recent film, Missing Link. Um, kind of the same. I really enjoy their work. Um, I hope they, Hopefully they find a way to make a film that really resonates with the audience um, and then gets them a box office hit. The only other studio probably worth mentioning are the defunct Skellington Productions. Um, that made Nightmare Before Christmas and James and Giant Peach no longer in work because Tim Burton has gone off to do other stuff. Um, and then Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson is in the studio. He's a director. But he does put out an occasional stop motion animation film um, through his work, through his through his work and producers. Um, they are Fantastic Mr. Fox and Isle of Dogs, and I look forward to whatever other um, stop motion film he puts out in the future. Um, looking forward for the rest of 2020, there are a couple of animated films. Obviously, this weekend we had Onward from Pixar. Um, in April, um, which is a, not a common month for an animated film. Uh, DreamWorks is putting out Trolls World Tour, a sequel to the Trolls movie, which had that catchy Justin Timberlake song. May uh, is a battle between Warner Brothers, um, Scoob, uh, and Paramount SpongeBob. So Cartoon Network versus um, uh, uh, Nickelodeon. Um, June, we have Pixar has their second film, um, Soul. Um, and then in July, we have another Minions movie from Illumination. Uh, September has that film Connected. Um um, which I think was previously called Mitchells vs. the Machines. But anyway, the trailer came out recently from Sony. Um, and then in November, we have the Southeast Asian-inspired uh, animated film from Walt Disney Animated Studios, Raya and the Last Dragon. And then in December, we have DreamWorks trying to capture some of that holiday money with Crudes 2. Um, there's also another Sony animated film called Whist Dragon, which is, you know, a I think a partnership with a Chinese studio um, and is has um, Jackie Chan as one of the executive executive producers and voice actors. Um, so that currently does not have a release date, but it's supposed to come out sometime in 2020. I don't know when they would insert it in, um, but we'll see. Um, and with that, let's move to the top five. 
So first up for this week, we have the aforementioned Onward, uh, which opened to 39.1 million in 4,310 theaters for per theater average of $9,077 in its first weekend. With an additional 28 million from international, it's earned 67 million worldwide. Um, this is obviously much lower than the typical Pixar opening I quoted earlier of about 90 to 100 million average since 2010. In fact, it's actually the second, the lowest grossing uh, for Pixar film or opening film for Pixar since the very first Toy Story. Though also of note, it is the only Pixar film to have ever opened in March. So pretty much uncharted territory for Pixar here. Um, for March animated films, as a comparison, the average from 2010 has been about $40 million on average, though Zootopia had $75 million in 2016, Disney's uh, only other film to release in March, and The Lorax uh, from Illumination opened in 2012 to $70 million. Um, everything else has been either DreamWorks or Paramount films, and notably the last couple of years has only had about 10 to 15 million or so opening. Um, so this is still off the Pixar, you know, that we'd expect. Obviously, the coronavirus um, has had some effect on this film's opening, um, but others are pointing to, you know, supposed quality issues with the film. Perhaps it doesn't resonate with children as much as it does with parents. You know, looking forward, the average Pixar legs are about 3.5x. Um, so this could go somewhere between maybe 120 to 140 dollars domestically. You know, with the average maybe 60 percent international. Um, this is you know about 350 worldwide. You know, definitely on the lower scale for Pixar films. Um, what makes it even harder to kind of predict moving forward is that there's actually an April release um, with uh, Trolls World Tour. Um, there actually hasn't been an animated April release since 2017 with Smurfs Lost Village, which didn't do that great, or Rio 2 uh, in 2014. It seems April you know, only has a release every three years or so for animated films. So depending on how well Smur um, Trolls World Tour does, that could really hurt Onward's legs. Um, on the flip side, for Pixar, uh, historically, in the past, in the two years that they released two films in the same year, uh, 2015 saw Inside Out and Good Dinosaur, and 2017 saw Cars 3 and Coco. One film went to make about 300 to 400 million, um, you know, so kind of what we were expecting for Onward, and the other went on to make over 800 million. So, you know, this bodes well for the release for Soul uh, later this year. Uh, moving on to number two, we have The Invisible Man uh, with 15.1 million in 3,610 theaters for per theater average of 4,192 or 46% drop. Um, for a horror film, this is a really excellent drop. Anything you know below 50% is kind of where you want to be for any film. Um, and for horror especially, those tend to have 60 to 70% drops uh, in the second week so you know this kind of places more than as a thriller than it does a you know straight up horror film uh, the domestic total so far has been 52.6 million through its second week and with an additional 45.6 internationally it sits just under 100 million at 98.2 million worldwide excellent win for blumhouse and universals who's distributing um big news actually james wan um who did the conjuring universe is set to produce another monster film for universal um which the plot sounds a lot like a modern take on Frankenstein so you know perhaps we are seeing the long-awaited monsterverse being made properly this time um, you know going for the more auteur um, you know our uh, director driven film versus something studio produced um, 
coming up in third place, we have a new release, uh, The Way Back at 8.2 million in 2,718 theaters. That's a per theater average of 3,006 for its opening week. Um, so less than a million, you know, internationally. So, you know, that makes more sense for, you know, the more artistic English language films. Um, Warriors on the Street is actually pretty well acted by Ben Affleck. Um, it's more so a story about an alcoholic that happens to be set in the bas- with basketball as the backdrop versus a basketball story um, that happens to have an alcoholic coach. Um, so going with that set of expectations, um, the numbers for the budget I'm seeing are somewhere between 20 to 25 million. You know, with a 3x multiplier, this would maybe get to 24 million domestically. Um, and, you know, if it had a 40% international split, which it's not going to get um, based on these numbers so far, it might get to the 20, uh, 40 million for a break even. Um, but again, for these kind of films targeted to a more mature audience that tends to have you know higher legs than 3x maybe 3.5 maybe 4 um so it's really hard to say um and the other hard part that's confounding is again coronavirus rearing its head um older demographics are those who are going to be more affected by the virus and more likely to stay home so i don't know how that's going to actually affect um you know the the, the the legs on this domestically the higher the domestic legs the less it'll need on the international side you know maybe this film just makes money on home release um we'll see um in fourth place we have sonic at 7.7 million in 3717 theaters loss of 460 theaters total per theater average is 2073 and the drop is about 53 percent um, it's currently sitting at 141 million. So so far, it's very close to beating the Detective Pikachu's domestic at 144. Probably will cost that sometime this week. Um, international numbers at another 154 million for a total of 295 million in its fourth week. So you know, Detective Pikachu had 67% of its revenue coming from abroad, whereas Sonic only has had 52% so far. So even if Sonic does win domestically, it looks like Detective Pikachu might win out, you know, more worldwide. However, Sonic did have a smaller budget overall, um, you know, 85 versus 150. So um, so overall, probably a more successful video game adaptation, profit-wise. Um, that five million. That even if they spend that additional five million to you know redo his character model, it really paid off in the end. You know, finally, we have Call of the Wild um, is hanging on at 6.8 million in 3,914 theaters, somehow added 49 theaters uh, for per per theater average of $1,728, a drop of 49% in its third weekend. Um, 42 million more from abroad ventured to a total of 99.3 million. Um, Not much to say here that hasn't already been said. I mean, the total budget on this one was 150, so um, this is looking like a long shot for uh, Call of the Wilds to to get there. Uh, But they already knew that. Uh, looking up at you know limited releases um, for this week or other other notable performances, um, Emma finally expanded another fourteen hundred and sixty eight theaters, so finally went wide for fifteen sixty five total um, theaters, uh, four point eight million and per theater average of three thousand seventy one. Couldn't find any budget numbers on this, so I can't really tell if this is a success or or flaw for it. Um, Bad Boys for Life uh, is the first film actually to cross two hundred million dollars domestically in this day in. Uh, here in the U.S. and Canada, so congratulations to them and Will Smith. Um, you know, some limited releases. Um, we have Irish horror, horror comedy Extraordinary, 
Opened in 32 theaters for 82.5 thousand per theater average 2,579. Nothing worth noting there. Uh, First Cow, that A24 film from Sundance, opened in four theaters uh, to $81,000 or so uh, for per theater of about 20.3K. Pretty good. That's actually, you know, uh, one of the higher per uh, per theater averages of the year so far, though they'll go down, you know, with time as we as we go on throughout the year. But uh, pretty solid overall. I think that's kind of like the bare minimum of where you really want to be in a limited release. Um, so we'll see where this goes when it expands wide. Um, definitely an, uh, an art house film, though. Um, Hope Gap, which is a British family drama, opened in 18 theaters, 1.7K per theater average, and 31K total. Nothing really looking there. Uh, Burnt Orange Heresy, which is an Italian-American drama thriller, which was the closing film of last year's Venice Film Festival. Four theaters, 16.1K total for 4,000 per theater average. Um, Booksellers uh, opened in one theater, the Quad Cinema here in New York. Uh, So the per theater average and total take-home is the same, 15.7,000. It's a documentary about rare booksellers here in New York. So definitely a very New York art house scene. You know, documentaries are, are even a tougher show than normal. Uh, Swallow, it's a psychological thriller film from Tribeca of last year. Three theaters, 12,800 for 4,200 uh, per theater average. Nothing to write home here. Uh, releases coming up from this next week. Um, so Fathom Events has two limited releases. Um, one is Toshi Khan's Tokyo Godfathers. Uh, one was this past Monday, the 9th, and one uh, will be on Wednesday, the 11th. Um, just separately aside, that you know this is actually a really great film. I would definitely recommend going seeing it. If not now, um, it's a great Christmas movie, actually, if you're looking for something to watch during when that time comes. Um, and Fathom Events is also showing King Kong, the original, uh, in a limited release on Sunday, the 15th, uh, which looks as to be... A I guess in honor of the anniversary of that film, um, especially with you know K- King Kong versus Godzilla coming out later this year, that might be worth checking out. Um, in wide releases, we have a Vin Diesel superhero movie Bloodshot going wide. Um, you know, expected to make between nine and fourteen million. Um, originally had a February release, uh, moved back about a month. The budget though was forty-two million dollars, so. Uh, not sure how this is going to do. It might break even with those numbers. Kind of worldwide, we'll have to see. Actually, no, probably not. I'm just doing the math in my head. Um, next up, we have The Hunt, uh, which is a, a thriller film based on the short story The Most Dangerous Game, you know, about hunting other human beings. Uh, this originally was actually re- planned to have a September 27 release last year, but after the, uh, you know, shootings, uh, the, the mass shootings in August, uh, it got put canceled then and eventually moved to this date, you know, to play into the Friday the 13th uh, theme. Um, this is co-produced by Blumhouse, so a $14 million budget, um, which, you know, looks actually to be pretty good given that the expected opening is 7 to $12 million uh, for this weekend. Um, so Blumhouse had it again. Um, you know, and finally, we have I Still Believe, um, which is a Christian biographical musical romantic drama. Say, say that 10 times fast. Um, no budget I can find here. However, the director's last film was I Can Only Imagine, another Christian musical biographical romantic drama uh, that had a budget of $7 million and made $83 million domestically, uh, which is pretty much all the revenue it made. So um, expected to make 10 to $18 million here. You know, that bodes pretty well um, if there's a built-in audience for this. Um, 
Let's see, there's a bunch of unlimited stuff, nothing super interesting to me personally, so we'll just cover those next week when the time comes. Um, and, you know, to wrap this show up, you know, what have I been watching? only seen three films since the last uh, last one. Uh, on Friday, I saw The Invisible Man. Um, you know, like I said, definitely plays more in the thriller space um, than the horror space. Um, even though, you know, not my favorite genre, but I can definitely appreciate the technical qualities that went into went into this. Um, Portrait of Lady in the Fire, just many people's favorite film from last year. Um, some would say, you know, sort of been the uh, nominee uh, from France for best uh, international film, and some say it's even better than Parasite in their opinion. I wouldn't go that far, but I can definitely appreciate, you know, the artistic quality to this one here. So five stars for me for Parasite of Lady in Fire. And finally, I actually just came back before recording this from watching Onward. Um, we already talked about that one to death. I will say if you are a big brother or have had a big brother, and also if you ever lost a parent, um, this is definitely going to hit you hard. Um, and then if you like Dungeons and Dragons, this is going to you know you're going to get get some laughs out of this one as well. So um, you know for everything that's said about Onward, I would definitely recommend going to check it out. In any case, that wraps up this week's watch. If you have any feedback or suggestions for box office concepts, send over an email to me at boxofficewatchpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at BOWatchPodcast. Uh, you can find our show on Spotify, iTunes, or Google Play as well. If you leave a review on your podcast service of choice or on Podchaser, that would be super helpful. Links in the show notes. Um, numbers used in the show come from thenumbers.com our intro and outro music come from Kevin MacLeod find his stuff at incompetech.filmmusic.io editing production provided by Ninja Boy Media until next time this has been the Box Office Watch and go watch some movies bye guys bye guys